Morning again. Go ahead and find a seat, and we are going to step further here. All right. If you'll recall, back in um, the fall, we did a series on why we gather, and uh, we, we talked a lot about the gospel and began to think about how do we order our services in terms of what we do when we gather together. And the gospel has to do with God being holy, and we're needy people, need to be dependent, that Jesus redeems, and then we get sent out. And um, we try to bring that structure into what we're doing as we gather together. Actually, on the back of your bulletin at the bottom, there's a reminder of what we're doing says our corporate gathering is a representation of the gospel in the presence of God and his people for his glory and our transformation. Everything we do, the, all the pieces, are designed to give the Holy Spirit the freedom to shape us even as he's getting lifted up and exalted. Um, we're going to be starting a study uh, beginning Philippians uh, today. And so we're actually going to use some verses from Philippians as a bit of our framework for talking about God's holiness and our need, and Jesus' redemption, and then our sending at the very end. So um, we will start out um, talking about the holiness of God, which is basically the, the one that we gather around Jesus. Um, our very first key value as a church, that Jesus is our center. So let me read as we start from Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. I'm going to have you guys stand. We'll stand for these first couple songs. Um, Therefore, God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Go ahead and have a seat and just to listen to these words from Philippians chapter 3. We who worship... By the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, put no confidence in the flesh. We're we're needy people. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of everything and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power's resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Just pray with me for a moment. Lord, we come before you, a, a holy God, um, wanting to make Jesus the center and the focus of all that we do. We recognize that um, we come empty-handed. We come with nothing um, that we bring forth to you to put us in the right place. Um, And yet we receive righteousness that pours over us. Um, We come with nothing in our own strength, and yet we walk away from here with the power of the resurrection. Um, And as your children, we just say to you, thank you. We give you thanks and we lift our eyes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Where we just 
declare the truth that you are good, that you pour out on us abundantly, that your promises do never fail. And in that good place, uh, we rest today. We would ask for the Holy Spirit, who is our only teacher, to instruct our hearts, open us to what you have, empower us to walk in it, and um, make a difference in the world because of that. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in uh, Philippians starting this week, take us through the middle of June, so uh, get familiar with it. So I just want to say it out loud that I love my wife, who's sitting back here. Um, we, uh, this later this week, will celebrate 33 years of marriage. And we've known each other just barely over 33 years, so God is good. Um, actually, we had a, a date in our first day, I think, April of 1981. Um, if I remember right, we got engaged in July of that year. Um, the plan was to get married by October. My parents just freaked out. Um, they didn't know what was going on, so we said we'll wait till s- spring or summer. I mean, we're in Michigan, so you're supposed to wait till spring or summer, and it's like, no way. So we got married in January, in the middle of January, um, in the middle of the winter. Um, not a good idea in Michigan, but we just didn't really care. You know, you're, whatever, 24, and it's like, yeah, we're getting married. That's it. Um, the, uh, on the uh, night before our wedding, um, a, as, it, as it happens in Michigan, a huge snowstorm blew in um, to our city. Uh, I mean, and it was huge. It was just the, the one of those things that just, just dumped snow. It was just building, building, building up. My, uh, one of the guys at my wedding, Dave, actually lived only about 15 minutes from the church. They actually hired a snowplow, and the guy came and picked him up. He got in the snowplow truck, and they drove him to the church just to, to get him there. Um, a very small portion of people made it to the wedding. Um, all I cared about was the pastor and a couple of witnesses, and Lisa and I, and we were going to be good to go. But um, it was like below zero, and then there was a 40-mile-an-hour winds on top of the below zero temperatures. It was just awful. Um, but we got married. But I had these, we had these great plans. So we were going to have this wedding. All these people are going to come. It's going to be beautiful out. We were going to fly out of the Gerald Ford Airport in Grand Rapids and fly into um, Chicago. We had a reservation to stay in a nice fancy hotel and have this great, you know, wedding night. And then we were going to fly to Chicago and head to warmer, warmer climate for a honeymoon. And um, none of that happened. Uh, not, well, it happened, but not quite the way we had intended. So we had the snowstorm. Hardly anybody gets there. Um, the wedding happened, which is great. We got married. Um, but we couldn't get out of Grand Rapids. We, we were at the airport, you know, with all our stuff. Like, we just want to get out of here, and there's nobody's going anywhere. So we end up back at this hotel, um, and we get our room, and we're exhausted and tired, and it's late. And so we say, we just go downstairs and find something to eat. We go down there, and who's in the restaurant? Our entire family is in the restaurant because every, everybody was stuck at that hotel with us. So we spent our, our honeymoon night with our family, um, our whole family. Separate rooms, so... The story of the Philippian church is actually one of um, actually Paul having plans and trying to put them into motion because he thought this is what God wants to do. And actually, things come along that change it. 
But in the midst of that, God does things that opens up doors that they did not expect. And um, we're going to discover that through the book and even as we look at this today. And I think it's probably um, this idea that God always has plans that we always don't always know. Um, somebody was sharing just last night that we, we pray for clarity. When we, when we pray for clarity, we want clarity like way down the road. Um, God sometimes gives clarity for this moment, and the Holy Spirit does that. And uh, so I think um, we're going to move this book, and we'll see that God will show us the way forward as individuals and as a body, perhaps not altogether knowing what's in front of us or how it's going to happen, um, but God does, and we're going to see that as he opens up those doors and illuminates the way for us. Um, I have a cartoon up here. It says, uh, if you open it, it says, um, wait a minute, I distinctly remember ignoring the same sermon two years ago. Um, so I'm trying to figure out what we're going to teach on this year, and I'm, I'm thinking, I think we'll do Philippians. Philippians sounds like a good book. And I'm thinking, wait, have we done Philippians before? I'm like, I can't remember if we've done Philippians before. I'm thinking, if I can't remember, nobody can remember. And, um, and it's still a good book, right? You know, and I won't preach the same thing. It'll all be different. But actually, we did do Philippians before, um, but it was like 10 years ago. So that's okay. Today, um, today we're going to do a lot of background in history, and we're just going to cover the first two verses to get us to open the door for us to see where we're going to go. And at the very end, I'm just going to want to share a little bit about my heart. So how did we end up in this book in the first place? And I think it has something to do with where God may take us um, as we move forward. So some background on it. First of all, uh, it's in your Bibles, it probably says Paul's letter to the Philippians. So what kind of literature is it? It's a letter, right? It's a letter. Somebody wrote a letter. I mean, they still do those things. Uh, some people still do that today. Um, because it's a letter, um, we need to understand that we should read it as such. Um, it's different than um, a, a history book, for instance. Um, it's different than the Psalms. Um, it's a letter. And uh, as a matter of fact, it's one of the most personal of Paul's letters that he writes. And so when they got it, they didn't take the first two verses like we're going to do today and examine them. They probably maybe did that later. But they just got a letter, and they tore it open like we would do, and they read it because it was a letter from somebody they cared about, and they wanted to hear what he had to say. And they read through the whole thing and got a sense about what was Paul saying, what was he trying to address to them as they did it. As I said, it's a very, very personal letter. Um, Paul wrote a number of different letters, but they were often written to like um, general, like the general epistles, for instance. But some of the letters were more to multiple churches at the same time. And so they, they were a little bit more general in nature. The, the letter to the Philippians is, is, is intensely personal. Paul is writing to people that he knows about. He was part of the founding of this church. He had stayed with them for a period of time. He knows them. He's heard about them. They've, there's been a period of time gone by that this church has grown and developed. And Paul cares deeply about it. And when you read this, you can get that idea of it. So in the midst of the letter, he's going to share a lot of personal things. He's going to encourage them. He's going to build them up. He's also going to challenge them to some godly living. But you'll see that he does it differently than he does in other books. Other places, he just says, you guys need to do this and do this and do that. In the flipping letter, he'll say to do it, but it comes out of a context of a, a fellow traveler who loves these people and knows them really well um, and just kind of comes alongside of them and urges them on as his fellow brother in the Lord. So it's a very, very personal letter, full of encouragement and affection and friendship, um, and yet um, calling them some changes. And as we read it, don't forget, this is written first to a very, very real group of people, just like us. Um, it's easy to think of it, this, this is his book that we look at, but it was first a letter to a group of people who gathered together and they heard the words of it. 
And they were going through their own struggles. They were going through persecution. They were having some dissension in their church. Um, they were just like us. They were coming and going to work and their businesses and their families. And they were trying to figure out how this Christian life all works together. And they got it and they heard this letter and what they, Paul had to say to them. So we want to hear what they heard first. And then we can begin to step in going, so what is God trying to share with us in the midst of this letter? But we want to hear what they had first, which is why we're going to look at the background of the letter and some of the, um, the history. Um, actually, the, uh, we'll hear about him later, but Epaphroditus is actually the one who brings in the letter, who is one of their group, and um, probably gathered a little group, like not like here, which they probably didn't have a building, but they got together and they just read it out loud. Um, the location is where? Wherever the Philippians live, right? Wherever the Philippians live. It's in Philippi is the name of the town. Um, we've got a map up here. I don't know if you'll be able to see it very well. But um, that's uh, you've got the Mediterranean Sea way on the right-hand side. You've got at the lower right corner of the screen is Jerusalem. This is Paul's second missionary journey. Um, they had intended, remember, when we did Acts, they, they wanted to go back and visit the churches from their first journey, encourage them on. So Paul had traveled up north to Antioch, and then he headed across um, Galatia and and that northern part, they kept wanting to drop down, and we'll talk about this later, but they kept wanting to drop down into Asia Minor, and this, the scriptures tell us the Spirit prevented them from doing that. So Paul was forced to continue north, and they ended up um, across the Aegean Sea, sea up to the very top left corner of the screen here, that's Philippi, which is, um, would be way northern Greece today, um, be just south of Bulgaria in the present day. Um, and that's where Philippi is. They dropped down from there later into Athens in the, to the lower Greece before they headed back um, across again. So um, you can actually, I'm not going to put them up there. We'll have one picture later. But you can go on the Internet, look up Philippi. There are all sorts of ruins um, in that city that shows you. It's just a very, very developed place. Um, there's a lot was going on there. So I'm going to give you a little history of the city and then a little bit of history about the church so we kind of get a feel for where these people were at. The city was founded in about 360 B.C., and just a few years later, it was actually taken over um, by the Greeks, which is by Philip of Macedonia. Uh, Philip of Macedonia was the father of Alexander the Great, so this is in the very beginnings of this, this movement of the Greeks taking over. And so Philip of Macedonia moves in, he takes over the city. That's actually a ruins of a, of a church in Philippi. Um, he moves in, and he takes over the city, and he does what all great rulers do. He names the city after himself. So he calls it Philippi after himself, of course, um, and takes it over. It was under that their rule for a long, long time. About uh, 168 B.C., the city came under Roman rule. So as the Romans began to take over and occupy territory, it became under their jurisdictions, sort of. Um, it had great prominence later on because the Romans built the Ignatian Way, which is this east-west highway um, that ran all the way across their empire. And Philippi was right on the highway. So um, it's like a city built on a, a, a river that's all sorts of commerce is happening. The city exploded at that point because everybody was traveling east or west across the empire and was all passing through that city. Um, in the book of Acts chapter 16, Luke calls it the leading city of Macedonia because it had grown so large. Um, covered about seven square miles of, of, of territory, which is a lot back then. Um, but it was on this major roadway, so it began to grow very, very, very fast. In 42 B.C., uh, two key battles took place right outside the city. Um, and the battles, both of them took place between Brutus. He's the guy who killed uh, Julius Caesar. Is that right? 
He's, okay, it's Dasmer, whatever he did. I remember the song or the story or the poem. Um, it was a poem, right, English class. I remember that. Um, and uh, he killed uh, Julius Caesar. But it was between Brutus versus Mark Anthony, and Mark Anthony was uh, aligned with Octavian. And so there's two battles between these two groups. Octavian ends up winning the battle. Um, Octavian's name was actually Caesar Augustus was his later name, who's the one who did the whole census and stuff with the whole nativity, the scenes when we talk about Jesus. And Octavian takes over, and um, at that point, Philippi becomes a Roman colony. Different than just occupied, it becomes a Roman colony. And that's significant for our, our New Testament because as a Roman colony, it changed everything about that city. Um, they, got, they were free from taxes. They could buy and sell property. They received all sorts of federal aid from, from Rome to build and expand. Um, they had citizenship by being born there, and citizenship was huge in the Roman Empire, and it becomes prominent here in this book of Philippians when Paul emphasizes our citizenship was in heaven first, even though Paul himself was a citizen of Rome. They get voting rights. They have free trade. All these different things happen because of that. In addition to that, it becomes more diverse. Um, as it becomes a Roman colony, people start pouring into it more and more and more. So you've got Greeks. You've got Romans. You've got merchants. You've got these traders. You've got um, government officials living there. You've got uh, garrisons of soldiers coming and going. You'll see even in the book, there's a, there's a prominence of women having, uh, having positions in society at the time. So it becomes this very, very, um, very diverse metropolis of activity. And this is where this book is, is written from as, as Paul steps into the midst of uh, part of the height of this, this city, probably. The church itself, we, we discovered that it was... Um, its founding happens in the book of Acts, chapter 16, a long chapter that's devoted solely to this church and its founding. Um, just previously in Acts 15, we, we know the story that Paul is on his second missionary journey. Um, just before getting to um, Philippi, um, Paul had, uh, Timothy had come to Christ and joins Paul. We've got Paul and Silas, and we've got Luke traveling with them, and then Timothy joins them, and then they travel to this town of Philippi. Um, together. If you remember the story I mentioned before, but Paul kept wanting to go into Asia, and it kept, the, the scriptures say that the Spirit prevented him. Um, and I'm not sure what that means. Was that just prevented it within his own heart, or whether they kept trying to get on caravans in there, and they kept breaking down, and they just couldn't go there? Um, or whatever was going on, Paul was unable to go there, and God diverted them to this place, and that's how they ended up in Philippi, which, along the way, they ended up meeting Timothy because of that and all the parts that he had, and then they end up in this town of Philippi, um, because then Paul had received this vision um, in his dreams saying, go into Macedonia, and that's where they end up. Um, we do, we, most of us know the story, but Paul enters into Philippi. Um, there's not a synagogue there, so he goes down by the river, and it says that he saw some women around the river who were fearing God and were praying, and one of those ladies was Lydia. And the scripture said the spirit opened up her heart to the gospel she received the gospel and received Paul into her home, and this little church begins in the home of Lydia the merchant. Um, there's a certain period of time goes by. We're not sure how long. Uh, considering the closeness that Paul expresses in his book, he was probably there for a while, um, sharing with them and teaching them and, and helping this church develop. And then uh, Paul is preaching, and we, the story goes on that there's a big riot in the city, um, and people became very angry at him. They grabbed him. And they throw Paul and Silas in prison. And that's the whole story of they're in the prison, remember, and they're singing. 
And uh, what does God do? He intervenes, and this earthquake comes, and uh, the, everything shakes. The chains fall off. The doors all open, and the jailer's going to kill himself. Remember the story? Because he thinks everybody's escaped, and Paul's like, no, we're, we're all just, we're right here. We're not going anywhere. And the jailer then, his heart is opened. And he and his entire household come to Christ. They're baptized. And we see this little church suddenly expanding and growing um, here in Acts chapter 16. Because of that, Paul is forced to leave Philippi in the midst of that. Um, He leaves Luke behind to work with the church and to teach them. And he heads down to Thessalonica with with Timothy and um, with Silas. Um, We hear about Philippi several other times in addition to the book. Um, they were known for giving financial help to Paul along the way. It's one of the things that they did. It's mentioned numerous times. Uh, Philippians 4.15, Paul mentions it specifically, that they received, uh, he had received money for help from them. Um, Paul later on continues to Corinth, is there for quite a long time. Again, in Corinth, he receives financial help from them to keep going. Corinth actually had a great deal of uh, resources, but they weren't helping Paul out too much. And yet this little church in Philippi, sends him um, financial help. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, you can read it. There's this glowing report about the churches in Macedonia, including the church at Philippi. And Paul talks about how they, out of their poverty and their need and their persecution, in an abundant way, poured out gifts upon Paul in order to help him on his journey and his work. So they get mentioned there several times. On his third missionary journey, Paul again visits Philippi. He may have been there twice. It looks as though he actually wrote 2 Corinthians from the city of Philippi um, during that particular journey. The setting of this particular writing, the book of Philippians, is that Paul is in Rome and he's in chains. There's at least four times this is mentioned in the, in the book of Philippians. Paul talks about being a prisoner. There's, uh, there's two imprisonments Paul had. We talked about this back in uh, Acts, that he was in prison in Caesarea, and then he was in prison later on in Rome. Everything seems to fit that he was in Rome at the time this book was written. It would have been around AD 60, AD 62, just a few years before Paul would end up um, being martyred for his faith. But he's in Rome, so he's, in a, uh, he's under arrest, and he's writing to this church that he cared about, um, which is why we're going to hear a lot of uh, stuff about being slaves um, and, and as prisoners in persecution in this letter because Paul was writing from that place. Um, what had happened is the church at Philippi, because they were worried about Paul, took one of their number, Epaphroditus, and they said, go to Rome and see how Paul is doing. And he brings the, he takes a gift with him and heads to Rome to, to see Paul. Epaphroditus arrives in Rome and sees Paul and um, reports, brings a gift to them, sees how Paul is doing. He also reports to them about the hardships that this church is going through and there was some disunity happening in the church. We'll see that in the book. There were some hard things happening within their own church as well. And he shares all this with Paul. And Paul, because he loves them and cares about them, is moved to write this letter. And he takes this letter. And the church actually wanted him to send Timothy back because they needed help. Um, and Paul actually ends up keeping Timothy. And he explains that in this book. And he takes this letter to them. He gives it to Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus takes the letter back to Philippi and brings it back to him and reports to them. Um, what Paul had had to say to them. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the text. We're going to be in the book of Philippians. Um, and I just want to look very briefly at verses 1 and 2 this morning just to get us going. And then we'll kind of talk a little bit about why we're, why we're going to be in this book. Philippians 1, 1 and 2 says, Paul and Timothy, 
servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he mentions the Lord three times in those two, those two short verses. I mean, he's going to make him central in this book. It's going to come out over and over again. The, uh, the introduction to the letter is basically a very standard threefold um, beginning of a letter that was very common at the time. It's who it's from, who it's to, and then some kind of greeting or salutation or whatever they say. We don't use the word salutation very often, but um, that's what he does here. So it's from, and it tells us right, right clear, it says from Paul and Timothy. Um, interesting that uh, Paul includes Timothy as who the letter is from. Um, and that's either because Timothy actually helped him write it, could have been, um, that Timothy was his, like his secretary and actually wrote it out from which uh, had Paul had people do that on occasion, or whether just because Timothy was so close to this church, um, Paul wanted that letter to come from both their hearts. And so he says, we're, we're both together sending it to you, particularly since Timothy could not go back with the letter to Philippi at the time. There's a definite sense of co-authorship here as they had both been really close to the Philippian church. It says, Paul and Timothy, and he calls himself servants of Christ Jesus. The better rendering of that would be slaves, the word for slaves, um, wanting to mark out the fact that Paul looked and Timothy looked at themselves as belonging to Christ, that they were not their own. And we're going to see that this, this, that imagery is going to play out in this book, this whole sense that we are citizens of heaven, that we belong to him, that um, the world doesn't define us or hold us, but God himself does. And it's going to show up in this book over and over again. Um, to whom do we belong? Whom do we find life in? And already it's telling us right here that we are servants of who? Jesus. Jesus Christ. That's where we find that identity and that place of purposes. Um, these words are going to get used concerning Christ over and over again. He's going to talk about being in Christ Jesus in this book, of Christ Jesus, by Christ Jesus, for Christ Jesus. He's going to use all these words because it's just going to keep bringing us back. That, that is where everything is found. This, the entire context of living is found in him as we belong to Jesus. He is our basis of existence. He's the basis of our unity, which will be talked about in this book. And he's the basis and the very source of our focus of what the gospel is all about. And Paul wants us to get that from the very beginning, even in his address here, that he says that we're servants of Christ Jesus. It says, to all the saints. Um, he didn't just address, um, by the way, the ones that were doing well and not the... <laughs> It's like he says, you know, it's all you guys that are getting along well, but those guys who are causing trouble, we're not going to talk to them, but it's to all of them. Um, saints is just set apart ones, those who have been set apart, um, which goes back to the servants and slaves things, set apart to belong to him. And so he tells them that you guys, as we are, um, have been chosen and set apart. Um, I've, I've made you my own. And um, as such, I want you to live out that kind of life that they would find their sphere of life is only found in Christ as the people of God. And whereas in the city, people found great value in being citizens of the Roman Empire, he wants them to see that they are find value in being set apart as citizens of heaven. And that's where their um, whole sense of life should be coming from. Um, when he says all the saints, as I said, he, he wants them to know that they are all included in this. Um, that they are all equal saints in Christ as they gather together, no matter how things are going on in the midst of the church. Even in the midst of disunity, um, he wants them to understand that they are one in Christ. And that's going to be the beginning of them bridging together the things that were, they were struggling with amongst one another. And 
in addition to that, when we get the book, we understand that when he talks about all, it includes us as well. And so this whole idea that there's unity in the church body, but there's a unity of churches of God's bigger body of Christ together, so it's to all of us in that sense. Interesting here, it says to all the saints, um, and then he says with the overseers and deacons. It's the only place in, this, in the New Testament that in the address, Paul specifically addresses the overseers and deacons. The word overseers is episcopus, where we get the word episcopal from, him to do with bishops or elders. The word for um, deacon comes from the word for servant. And we have these two offices of elders, whatever name we want to give to it, and deacons, the servants who, who served another role. Um, the fact that he mentions them here indicates that the church had developed for a while. They had actually developed several layers of leadership um, and had been working at that. And so he addresses them specifically. But most of all, he says to all the saints with the overseers and, and deacons, he sees them as one group. The whole church is one body. He doesn't just address the overseers and deacons as though that's all that counts. He sees them all working alongside, being one body, in one together, waiting on God as he leads them and walks them forward. Um, identifies them in partnership with the body. And actually, the word partnership is another key word that's going to show up in this, this book over and over again. This partnership in the gospel, partnership with one another, partnership with other churches that's going to show up in this book as well. And then he says, grace to you and peace. And I like the fact that he separates those, in a sense, with his wording. Because grace comes first, doesn't it? God steps in and he pours his grace on it. It comes as a gift. And when we receive his grace, the outflow of that, the, the fruit of that, the, the benefits of that is peace in our life. Trying to get peace without grace is impossible. And uh, even manufacturing peace we can't do. So God pours his grace as a gift on us, which is given to God's people. And peace is what results from that gift. And that's going to lead us into the discussion here of the gospel, which is going to show up in this book. He mentions the word gospel um, almost more than any other word. He uses the word gospel over and over and over again. The gospel begins with grace, and that's going to be a theme here in this book. So that's our, that's our opening. So the question comes, why, why Philippians? I, I get asked this every year when I pick a book. Um, so why did we pick that one? Why did we do Haggai that one time? And why did we do this book? And, and um, I'm supposed to come up with some great spiritual reason. Um, yeah, this is, and it's usually, well, I just, they're all good books, so let's just pick one, you know? I mean, right? And that's actually the heart of it. It's God's word. We pick it because God's going to teach um, through his word. That wasn't my original idea. Um, and I think it was, but I was thinking differently. Um, if we think back over the um, year 2014, it didn't go as I planned. Remember we're talking about plans getting messed up? Um, 2014 did not go in terms of what we did here like I had originally planned. Back in fall of 2013, I went out in the desert, and I spent my little week out there, and I thought, came up with my plan for the year, which I do each year. And... Um, I came up with a plan of what we were supposed to cover for 2014, and it was all figured out, and I liked everything neat and clear, and I had all the dates and what we we're going to teach on each week, and it was all laid out, and I was felt really good about it, and came back. We did our Advent series, and then this whole sexuality thing came up, and it messed everything up. Um, it's, it's, it was like we were going to do like two weeks on sexuality in November that year, and then January, we are going to start with my plan, and that got bumped to January and ended up going from two weeks to nine weeks. And, um, and I couldn't even say the word sexuality when we first started this series, so it was like stressful, and it messed up my entire year's plan. Completely went out the. I mean, I just took the whole schedule thing and just ripped it up, and it was gone because we. And then we kept adding weeks on to. We should talk about this and adding a week, and then we filled it in with some other stuff around uh, Easter, 
and wrapped up Axel a bit, and then this, this whole series on why do we gather, which was not in the plan at all, although I think God was in that. Um, he had opened up some things, and so, but that was week. I guess, got to be honest with you, we were p- putting that together week by week because I didn't know what was going to be the next week. We said, why do we gather? Well, I had one idea that came out of it, and we had to come up with another one and another one, and we were just kind of piecing it together, and it's just, it was terrifying, um, truthfully, because I didn't know what was going to happen each week, and then we wrapped up into the year, and it's like the year did not go as planned. So as I was thinking about this year, I'm like, going, I don't want to do that again. I mean, it was really good. I believe God was in it, so there's no question about it. And actually, not knowing um, probably forced me to trust more. I'm, I'm absolutely sure that that's the case. And I think we could look back over the last year and go, God was doing something in our midst. And we were able, this past November, we started sharing about that. We were able to identify, here's what he's doing, and here's what he was doing, and here's what he's doing in all those places. So... I just went back into the old mode again, thought, okay, God was doing those things. So this year, we need to come up with a plan so we can address those areas and figure out, I can tell you about what we're going to do to carry out those plans, because that's what we all want, right? What are we going to do with those areas? So I thought, I, Philippians is a good book, and so I took Philippians, because it, it fit the right amount of time to take us into June, <laughs> and I started taking uh, scraps of paper trying to outline how we're going to teach through the book of Philippians in order to address each of those areas and make sure that we've figured out each of those areas and move forward. And I've got, I had stacks of scrap paper. I'm coming to this plan, and I had this plan, and I was coming up with all these different ideas of things um, that I could do. Um, I talked about the theme of joy. We, I, I gave cameras, we're going to do it, it's on bounding love, and I come up with a, a description of how that's going to work through. Um, grace and trials, servants of Christ, and I come up with all these things. I saw John Phillips in Starbucks last, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, and I came in there and I said, i got to come up with this plan because it's still not fitting right. I sat down, and about 10 minutes later, I came up with this whole plan of being partners in the gospel, which is the theme. And I thought, this is going to work because it's going to hit each of those areas. This is awesome. I told John, I got it. We're all ready to go. And laid it all out, and I leave. And then Cameron and I got together, and Cameron says, so where are we going? And I started explaining to him my plan. And even as I'm explaining to it, I knew it made no sense. I mean, it just, <laughs> I was fumbling over it, and I'm like, this doesn't, I'm not clear. Cameron's like looking at me, and um, <laughs> And I realized, Cameron says, why do you really want to do the book? And I said, I, I just, because it's a good book of the Bible, and God's just going to take, take us somewhere with it. It's just, that's all. I, I don't want to, I don't have a plan. There is no plan. And, and I, it feels good not to have a plan and yet have a, a book in front of us that's already laid out. And from week to week, they'll say, this is what God's going to show us. The topical things are real str- are stressful because it's so easy to get off track. It's so easy to bring our own our own agenda into these things. And I just wanted to get back to a book and say, I have no idea what next week is, but I do know, I know what verses we're doing. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit can show us what he's got in that place. And so that's the bottom line, um, why we're doing this, so that I can just rest, we can rest, and letting the Holy Spirit lead us through this book wherever he wants to go. And I imagine he's going to address all the things he's already been doing. And I imagine he's going to show us what he's got. But what that will be from week to week, we'll have to wait and see as he moves in our midst and walks us. Um, and we don't want to get astray. We just want to lead him. Interesting that, as I said in the beginning, the church started that way in Philippi. Because Paul had a plan, and he came in with this whole thing, and he kept trying to make this plan work to enter into Asia Minor. And the Holy Spirit, there was opposition. He couldn't get there. And in the midst of opposition, God moved him. And what happens? He's, he comes up to Lydia the Holy Spirit opens up her heart, and this church has begun. Then Paul has another plan, and yet they end up in jail this time, another opposition. 
And God intervenes again, brings an earthquake. He opens up a jailer's heart, and what happens? The church expands and grows. And that's where we need to be, isn't it? We, we look to him. We, 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 we want to think what he's doing. But ultimately, we've got to wait on him to show us his way and to open up our hearts to the things that he wants to do us. God is at work here. There's no question about it. It's been a, it was a, a wonderful year of him doing that, and I expect more of the same. We don't know where the book or the Holy Spirit ultimately is going to lead us, but we want him to be the one that's leading. And none of us want to be in front of him in that place. Um, as the song goes that we're going to sing later on, um, um, we don't have the vision necessarily to see it, but we just want to go where he goes. Um, and uh, we can lay those things out, but ultimately it's God's heart, God's plans, God's vision. And our place is just say, wherever you're going to go, we're going there. And I think, we did a, I think we did that last year. I think that was part of the joy of what we experienced last year is that we were just walking with him and letting him lead us as we went forward. So we're going to trust him to do that. Um, the leading for that, of course, begins at the cross, um, and which is the table behind me um, represents that. Cameron, you guys can make your way back up here. Um, there's an old song called uh, um, Jesus, Savior, Pilot Me, and it talks about the fact that Jesus is our compass and Jesus is our chart. And as we, we look forward to going without knowing anything that's in front of us necessarily, we do have somebody that goes before us. And he went before us to the cross. He went before us to the resurrection. He goes before our church step by step by step by step and opens up his paths. And that is a good place to be. As a matter of fact, it is the only place for us to be. As we've talked about the fact that God is holy and we're needy, Jesus steps in and redeems us and rescues our life, and that's what the table behind me represents. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, and he took the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, um, even death on the cross. And so as we take communion, let's our hearts um, put him in the middle, saying, Lord, you have got to go before us. You went before us in humility and in servanthood and in your work, and we want you to go forward before us as we head into this year and walk where you would walk us to go. We're gonna, I'm going to pray over the bread and cup, and then we're just going to do two songs this morning uh, during the communion. So I encourage you to, if you want to take communion, make your way up here. There's a table here. There's one on the side and one in the back. Um, let's um, put him at the center of our hearts and minds. Lord, I thank you for the bread and the cup, these just everyday items that just remind us that you are in our midst, that you have done our work, that you have gone before us. Um, as Paul expressed in the beginning of this letter, we would want you to be the center of everything that we do and think. Um, and if you can enable your Holy Spirit to keep us in that place, Lord, um, we can look forward to a year where the mighty works of God are done in our midst, and we would rejoice and exalt you in that. So we give you thanks for your life, for your death, for your resurrection, and we honor you in that. In Jesus' name, amen. You can stay standing if you want, or sitting and see there was okay. We get, we get sent out from this place when we're done here, and we, we go. Um, we don't leave. Uh, God sends us. Um, with purpose behind it. And um, we absolutely have to have him be our light 
and to show us the way and to walk before us, to guide us in our moments, in our, our days, and the week as he brings us back. Um, so I'm just going to ask you just nice and out loud, just short prayers. Um, let's just offer some prayers up, specifically asking God to illuminate his word, um, to um, lead us in his way, um, to have open hearts to the paths that he would put before each of us. And just pray specifically, ask God to do that. So nice and loud where you are, just anybody that wants to pray, let's just offer those up to him. We don't know uh, what's before us. We just, we don't. But we know you. And that's enough for us. So Lord, show us a way. Close your eyes and pray with me. This is coming from Philippians chapter 1, 27 as we go out. Lord, cause our manner of life to display the gospel of Christ so that whatever this day and week brings, we would stand firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So Lord, show us the way and lead us in it. Amen.